Nick, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. So, and we met through uh, yoga class, but if you want to just give the audience a little bit of background on who you are, just to sure they can get acquainted with you. Yeah, so we met at our community yoga class out here in Miami. I'm born and raised in Miami, 40 years old. And, you know, we were just briefly talking about being a student. You know, I am a teacher, but I would say my main goal in life is to always learn. So I was really excited to step up to the plate here with you. <laughs> we're definitely here to learn from each other. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Obviously, this is third episode and I'm still learning a lot. And it's interesting to build this habit of learning this new skill of just having a conversation on video. I think one of the topics that I cover is these habits that we form in life. And when something, you know, for going through grief or loss or anxiety or depression, building habits is always one of the tools that we have that allow us to, it's a tool and tool set to combating all these things. And so just this tool of doing this is a new one. It's exciting and a little nerve wracking that it's in person, actually. It's very interesting to do this in person because the first two were over Zoom and it's a new experience. I'm actually talking with you in person and it's more of a shared experience now, more so than over Zoom where it's, I'm in the comfort of my apartment. I have my things around me. It's definitely very interesting. So I appreciate you coming on and this is going to be a wonderful new experience. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. So... I don't know a ton about how you grew up and your background. I know that you were an athlete. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that part of your life? And then we'll catch up to why I brought you on here. But I would love to delve into that a little bit because I think that's a a fascinating space within mental health itself. Yeah, exactly. So um, first and foremost, I was raised by two amazing parents and I had three siblings. And both of my parents are teachers and my father is an ex-Olympian. So he was like my coach, my teacher, my mentor. And, you know, he really got me into the sport of water polo. That gave me a strong foundation, I would say, in a physical way. Just having that discipline to day in and day out, just compete and practice and wake up early and eat well and develop the habits, like you said. Because, you know, we can develop uh, virtues or vices, and those are all habits. We're creatures of habits. So... Um, that gave me a, a really good foundation as a, in my youth to kind of just settle, anchor in that energy yeah. and, and understand the significance of it. Because if not, we're just getting pulled all over the place doing so many different things. So I'm really grateful for that upbringing. So I really went hard in my sports for a while. And then um, I ended up injuring myself at university. And I was also competing uh, for the U.S. national team. So it was a real honor to be at a high level. Yeah. And then ultimately I injured myself when I was about 20 years old and I decided to just kind of retire from my sport. So that led me to just be more lax about life and kind of explore different things. And I, it's kind of funny. I'll give you just a quick background here. I, I got into doing modeling, okay, like fashion modeling, and I did really well. So the first year of uh, When I was working as a model, I was traveling all over the place and I met this guy that I was modeling with. I was younger and he was like very spiritually connected. So he's the one that kind of initiated me 
into something beyond the physical, you know, because it's very easy to just live through our physicality and through our mind and our body and that stuff. So he kind of like initiated me into the energy world, the spiritual world, which is funny. We're in the the modeling world, which is a bunch of shallow people, unfortunately, just kind of more concerned about the way you look and everyone's kind of, uh, in a sense, very, like I said, shallow. So through my friend, I met his girlfriend that became my first yoga teacher. So here I am today about, I would say, 18 years later, and yoga is my path. So that's kind of like um, the history of, of my life, where I ended up today. I'll skip forward all these years, but from being an athlete to a model to then kind of moving into the spiritual world through yoga. And here I am as a, you know, a yoga teacher and a spiritual teacher, but I'm again, constantly, constantly learning. That's my whole purpose in life is to keep learning. You know, that's our evolution in life to keep learning. So yeah, I definitely dig that. When did you start doing water polo? So I started when I was really young. I don't know, my dad threw me in the pool, like really young, but I kind of resisted a lot because a lot of times parents want you to follow in their footsteps. Of course, yeah. So we're just like, nah. You know, I was always in there and stuff with my dad's friends is getting tossed around. And then I really started getting into it when I was like 12, 13, when my dad recruiting my friends. Yeah. So my dad okay. recruited his friends. So when my friends jumped in, I really, really got into it. And um, the rest was history. You know, um, I did, you know, really well in my sport. Yeah. Uh, so. So from about 12 to 20 years old, yeah. eight, nine years straight of training six, seven days a week. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming you, you got to that national team level, you were training quite extensively, yeah, right? exactly. So when that injury happened and you, can you take us a little bit through the, I know that like uh, when athletes have that moment where they're, they spend all their time doing this one yeah. thing and it's like, how did that feel at the time? Because I mean, you know, obviously we're 20 some odd, you know, yeah. years later. So it, it's in a very different perspective now yeah. because of you're very centered now. But a 20 year old, I think there's a lot of people out there who have been very singularly focused and they hit a point where yeah. they're where they can't proceed any farther. Yeah. So if you don't mind just delving into like what that felt like emotionally and was it very difficult for you or was it easier than you thought or you know to be honest with you it was easier i'll say this because when i was in high school again all my friends were playing so it was like my family we loved each other so much you know to be an athlete you have to be an alpha male okay yep so when i was in high school we beat each other up but we're family yeah but then when i got to university it was the real alpha male situation and there's um very, very competitive. So, I mean, you even see in professional sports, players from the same team fighting, coaches fighting their players and all these things. It's just that alpha energy that was very intense. And that kind of like gave me a a sour taste in my mouth. So when I got injured, it was like a little bit disappointing. But then I was just like, you know what? I easily let go because I didn't really care to be around like most of the yeah people on my team the ones i did care to be around they're still my friends yeah <laughs> the other ones again you know we're all kind of conditioned to be a certain way unconsciously okay yeah. so it's not their fault we're just 
programmed to be that way as athletes, as whatever. We're programmed or conditioned in many different ways, but as an athlete... That combination between genetics and upbringing and yeah. the, what they surround themselves with. Yeah, it's uh, it's understandable. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, when you get to that level, there's a lot of pressure and it's coming from inside, it's coming from external forces, and that's uh, yeah, can be brutal. Do you think that there is a little bit of a weight that was lifted off your shoulders when you got injured because you were naturally gifted clearly to get yeah. to that point was there maybe some sort of internal sense of duty to see if you could achieve something at the highest level because you had the gifts but then when you got injured you're like i actually feel better not doing this yeah but did that play a role you know i i really did love the sport but again it, i found it easy to let go you yeah. know i felt really liberated because you know again there's like you said a lot of pressure coming from many different places, you know, um, from number one, my dad, number yeah. one, my coach, which is my dad's. Also, my coach was an Olympic teammate of my dad. And oh, okay. I, we kn they known each other forever. And it's like an uncle. Yeah, so, and then my coach's son was is a six-time Olympian. So it's just like the pressure of all these guys that are extremely successful. But then ultimately, I was just like, I broke free from it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it felt really liberating. I ended up kind of soul searching at that yeah. point and just being a little more lax with, you know, my habits and uh, just experimenting with life because I didn't have to be. Like, yeah. The whip wasn't getting <laughs> cracked at me, you know, 24-7. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. How did your dad handle it? Uh, Was my... your dad more disappointed than you were in the... Because it, you were able to explore your freedom, but maybe... I know a lot of these situations, the dad is sort of like invested yeah. themselves emotionally exactly. into it. So how did he handle that? Facts. Um, my dad was a little disappointed, but ultimately he understood that I was injured and, um, you know, I had a back injury and my dad is, um, you know, is a very strong man, but ultimately he's very understanding. I'm very grateful, you know, to have him. That's lucky. Yeah. 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 Cause like you see athletes nowadays is like, they're just, keep pushing through even if they have like concussions and like yeah. i was just asking my dad about two of the miami dolphins quarterback yeah. like what's going on with him and you know i just feel for these athletes sometimes the pressure to keep going even though their health might be compromised you yeah. know that wasn't my situation and uh i'm grateful because if i was um uh, had a hundred million dollar contract yeah. it probably would have been a a little different. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, once they bring that type of money into things, it's, uh, it gets a little scary. Yeah, it does. So, one of the things that obviously we talk about podcasts and within this community is loss. And one of the reasons why I brought you on is because that has been a part of your life. If you don't mind sharing what happened yeah. and uh, a little bit about your situation. Yeah, sure. So I grew up with three siblings. I was a second child and I had an older brother named Eric. And, you know, my brother was a great relationship growing up, but me and him always like scrapped a lot and fought, but it was perfect. He was like a real older brother to me and um, we were very close. And then as adults, we were even closer. So my brother was very successful. He married his high school sweetheart. I've never seen anyone do that. I mean, nowadays, that's... Uh, <laughs> nowadays, it's definitely less common. Yeah. yeah. So he had uh, two beautiful kids and, again, very successful in, in many areas of life. You know, last year on 4th of July, 
I was with my cousins and um, my mom called me and then I didn't pick up. And then she said like, emergency, call me. And it's like, nobody wants to get that call from your parents. So uh, she basically called me and told me that my brother was in the hospital in a coma. And um, so what happened to him was, the ironic thing was, like I said, uh, we were all watermen. And and my dad was also an excellent expert free diver. Oh, wow. As well. So we grew up diving in the ocean with no scuba tanks or anything. Yeah, yeah. Spearfishing, lobster diving here in South Florida. You know, my dad was uh, also LA County Ocean Lifeguard. So my dad was like an amazing waterman and very safety oriented. Yeah. A little bit too much, to be honest with you. Um, As some parents are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's this thing that happens. It's called shallow water blackout. Yeah, okay. I've so you could be in a pool that's three feet deep or you could be right next to the shoreline in the ocean and somehow you might be underwater and just holding your breath and you might just pass out not due to like not having oxygen it's just something where you just lose consciousness so my dad always warned us about that and we knew people that 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 happened to them personally um even um an Olympic athlete, I know that happened to him. He had a shallow water blackout, but his brothers were in the pool. So basically that happened to my brother. He was in the pool here um, in Miami and his kids and his wife were there on the pool, but nobody was really paying attention. You know, it was 4th of July. It's not like we're, again, excerpt watermen and he blacked out. So nine minutes later, they realized. So by that time... My brother's wife was like, oh, where's Eric? And they grabbed him and he was like completely just like purple. And there was two nurses on the pool deck. I mean, out of nowhere, I'm, <laughs> they happened to be there. So they gave him CPR and they were able to get his heart going. And then they got him to the hospital and he was in a coma. So at that point, you know, after... Several minutes of being underwater unconscious, it's not a good situation. So nine minutes is already about double the amount of time. So, you know, everyone was really, really scared at that point. It was, I don't know. There's no words to describe the feeling, you know, the the irony of it too. Yeah. So they started to run all the tests on him and do all these different things. And ultimately they determined that all the nerves in his brain were just basically, they were dead. Because uh, nerve cells cannot regenerate. Yeah. You know, our, our cells can regenerate. Like our cells are constantly uh, dying off and being reborn. Yeah. But the nerve cells, not. So he was on life support and a breather. And, you know, eventually we just had to decide after all the tests came through. You know, his body was no longer yeah. uh, able to, you know, um, support him. I mean, well, I would say not his body, excuse me, his brain. Yeah. Because his body was fine. I'll tie that in later on. His body was perfect, but the brain was what was damaged. So, so you know, we had to um, make that call. My brother's wife and decided to take him off life support. And then he donated his organs, his heart, and several other organs to donors. And I'll tell you what happened about that later on, uh, which is really uh, miraculous. I mean, yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah. We can jump into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. Absolutely brutal. Yeah, it's really, really tough because you would always think that you would live to see your 
siblings till yeah till we're old geezers yeah you know what i mean it was really really hard on everyone and being a tough guy athlete i barely cried in my life you know i just kind of hold it in a lot and, yeah. and, and not allow emotions to like come through us so i cried the most i've ever cried in my life and that's the beginning of the grieving process yeah. you know is allowing yourself to feel and not suppress things and not numb yourself because what are emotions really emotions are they're meant to be felt yeah we live in a society where a lot of people don't want to feel their emotions because they get really heavy at yes times. sir yes sir very very heavy and i would have never thought the heaviness of this emotion i've dealt with a lot of stuff in my life but this is the heaviest emotion so I would just cry and cry and cry and, you know, I felt good to cry, to be honest with yeah. you. So that was the beginning of my grieving process. First off, I, I want to thank you for sharing this because yeah. this is, I know how hard it is sometimes to share shit like this. And yeah. uh, I get emotional just thinking about yeah. it because it just mirrors a lot of things that I felt. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is that you are a former Olympic athlete and there's a lot of men out there who have experienced some really hard things yeah and they don't know that it's okay to just cry yeah or or experience these emotions and share them yeah I think it's like a big issue with uh you touched on the fact that like today especially with social media where we're pushed towards how can we be happy all the time that's not being human. Yeah. Being human is loving those darker emotions that we feel. Yeah. Because that's, it's just integral to our experiences on this planet and this universe. And it's always refreshing to hear people just being open about the stuff that's the hardest to talk about. So that's yeah. very much appreciated. And yeah, I'm getting emotional about it. I, I don't know, mind. I this is beautiful. I like, this is a beautiful yeah. moment. Thank you for, you know, it's like I see how much compassion you have. You shed a tear. And if you can allow yourself to really feel someone else's pain um, and understand we're one and we all go through the same shit yeah. at different times, you know, and, and we can drop in with people. So thank you for dropping in with me and tendering up your heart. <laughs> I it's very weird because for me in my grieving journey i never was like this but after my mom passed it's like my whole entire way of being became so much more empathetic and open yeah it's always weird when i talk about it because it's like catastrophic loss in my life opened me up in a way that nothing else could i talk a lot about how there's two ways to respond to devastating events in your life. Mm-hmm. It's you either let it destroy you or you rebound yeah. or build yourself back up in a yeah. way through the grieving process. And you don't really have a choice. You have to do one of the two. Yeah. You can't continue like you were before. That's just not a, it's not something that's an option. Yeah. And uh, it's like, you're part of a really shitty club, <laughs> like this like survivor's club of like, somebody who you've loved all your life is no longer there and experiencing life moving forward in this club you're like well it's either one of the two and for me 
I've just become a lot more empathetic and I cry a lot more now. That's just how <laughs> it is. Beautiful. Me too. Yeah. It's been 14 and a half, 15 months. Now. Yeah, yeah. It was last July. So. so do you feel different today than you did three months ago, six months ago, 10 months ago? Can you talk a little bit about how you feel in this grieving process right. today as opposed to where you did six months ago? Because I right. think this journey is something that I talk to a lot of people who are going through this. Yeah. And, you know, when it's fresh, they're like, well, will it ever end? And I'm like, well, no, yeah. it it never ends. But that's humanity. But like, right. it there is progress yeah. if you okay. can. So if you can shed a little bit of light on your progress and the difference between now and maybe six months ago. Yeah. So... I would say first and foremost, we have to understand is like everything is happening for us as brutal as things may be at times, as tragic things may be at times, as sad, as horrific as all of it. We have to understand that's happening for us. Life is not all just golden all the time. It's, yeah. it's the challenges are the most transformational things in our lives. It's the most transformational things, because if we don't go through the darkness, through the shadows, that's what I really believe in is like we're here on Earth as spiritual beings. OK, so I came into this body to experience this lifetime with a polarized human mind where I can experience my light, my darkness. I can experience joy, sadness. I can experience my masculine energy, my feminine energy. I can experience the polarization. So in the beginning, there's that kind of that darkness that hits in the grieving process, you yeah. know, where it's just like uncontrollable and you have no choice but to surrender and feel everything. I'm not the one to numb myself and yeah. you know, I don't drink alcohol and we all kind of numb ourselves in different ways. So I allowed myself to feel a lot. We have to understand what emotions are. What are emotions? They're meant to be felt, but they're meant to transform us. You know what I mean? So if I can experience my a darkness, a sadness, an anger, a frustration, a resentment, I don't know, all these different energies, I can experience the opposite. Yeah. Right? So that's what emotions are here to do is to allow us. They're like a tool. Okay? They're a tool for us to help us transform like as an alchemist. Yeah. It's like turning lead into gold. As I wear this gold shirt yeah. here, you know? We have to understand that everything is teaching us and our emotions are teaching us. So the grieving process to me, it got better and better and better. And then yesterday, it just the synchronicity was my sister, uh, we're on a group chat with my family. My sister lives in another country. I don't get to see her that much. And she expressed so much grief yesterday and sadness. Yeah. You know, I was on the street uh, when I got the message and I was like, okay. And I just wrote this long message and I stopped on the street and I was writing it on the street. I was like, whatever, I'll do this right here. Cause it just came through like the light poured in. Yeah. And I was just basically saying, we have to come to the right position, which is this is realize that our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, and our body, those are not us. Those are our tools. The body is our vessel. The mind is mine, but it's not me. It's mine, but it's not me. My thoughts 
are not me, but they also are mine. My emotions are not me, but they're mine. If I can observe all those things that are happening in my body, within my mind, I can experience all the waves of the thoughts and all the emotions and observe it, then I realize I'm the one that's observing all of it. I am consciousness. So why does suffering occur? Why does suffering stay in people's life? Is because they identify with the wrong identification. They're identifying with their emotions, their thoughts, all the stuff in their mind, and they're identifying with their body. It's the attachment to that is the root cause of suffering. People say attachment causes suffering. It's the attachment to the wrong identification that causes suffering. So right now, where I'm at is I know I only identify with being conscious, being pure consciousness, the I am in yoga, as we say. You have to keep reminding yourself, who am I? In times of crisis, stop, take a deep breath. Who am I? I'm experiencing all this, okay? Untangle yourself from all of it. Even though it's heavy, don't get caught up in it too much. Look at it and feel it, but then realize I am the one that's experiencing all of it so I can transform my experience little by little. I mean, not quickly because you can't just grieve the, the death of your brother overnight. But you understand I can transform myself. I can slowly transform myself if I live through the proper identification. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if not, then I'm stuck on my sadness. I'm stuck on my anger, my frustration. I'm stuck on all the stuff in my mind that's just fabricated from my subconscious because we all realize we're just here and then all of a sudden things pop in my mind and I'm like, where did that come from? It's just fabricated in the mind. It's like, no, I didn't even create that. That's just uh, some illusionary thing that popped up. So right now, again, honestly, I feel completely bliss in my life. Why? Is because I have that understanding. Regardless if my brother died, regardless if this happened or that happened, or there's so much suffering in the world, Right now, I cry out of bliss, not out of sadness. Yeah. I cried today out of bliss. I cried the other day out of bliss. Yeah. Before, it was crying out of sadness. Yeah. And I was crying because I felt like I was a victim. Yeah. And that's the wrong identification. That's been my process. And right now, I just, again, that's what I had to communicate to my sister yeah. on a deeper level and just be like, hey, Remember, you're not your sadness. Let it be felt and let it transform you into the ultimate state of gratitude for having an older brother that you got to experience his amazing life, see him get married to his high school sweetheart, have kids, have multiple homes, have an incredible life. Realize this is happening for you to transform yourself into only love and compassion and gratitude, you know, because that's really what we have to do, allow everything to be felt and just be conscious of why that's happening and just tap into that, that love and that gratitude for life. Yeah, what I think is interesting about what you said is it's almost like it's simultaneously giving up control 
while you yeah. maintain control. Yeah. So it's giving up control over the uncontrollable, which is our mo we cannot control every emotion. It's just not possible. But what we can do is control how we respond to the emotions. Exactly. And I think that's like, yeah. to me, that's the biggest takeaway out of what you said, because yeah. I think a lot of people listening probably don't have the might not necessarily have the spiritual tools or the that inner strength that you've built up over time to yeah. make this work, but they can start with giving up control over the emotions, letting those emotions pass through them like like leaves falling off a tree and just watching them fall. You can't hold on to these things. They just happen. And then simultaneously taking more control over how they are reacting to it, yeah. how they are living on a day-to-day. -day. Yeah, how you want to create moving forward. And I'll, I'll mention Aubrey Marcus, the legend. You know, Aubrey... I, I don't know who that is. Okay, so well, um, enlighten so, me. So Aubrey Marcus is like a 41-year-old, I would say, you can't really label him, but he's just a, a powerhouse in a sense that he he's like an amazing inspiration, amazing teacher and... He has this podcast. Um, I forgot the name of the podcast, but I'm sure many of you guys know who he is. And I know when you get home, you're going to be all over. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw a video of him yesterday. It's like, there's two things. It's like surrendering to what's happening and realize this is part of the divine plan. This is God's plan for me Okay, to suffer right now. Surrender. This is happening the way I cannot do anything. Yeah. Okay. I have to allow this experience to happen because it's for the greater good beyond this. Okay. But then I have to realize like exactly how you said, what do I want to create moving forward? How am I going to respond moving forward? And that's the magic, both of those things together. It's like surrendering and saying, I have no control over these situations. If somebody dies in a car accident right in front of me, I have no control over this situation, but I can ultimately realize, okay, how do I respond? Do I get really, really fearful and paranoid? And now every time I walk across the street, I'm like, I, I'm like, I have PTSD yeah. because somebody died in front of me, or I just have to be more mindful and be more aware because that's what I want to create moving forward. You know what I mean? How do I yeah. want to respond to the situation that's teaching me? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the way I look at it, you know. What do you think has been the biggest tool in your tool belt for getting to where you are in your your mentality? Because yeah. yeah. it takes a lot of work to get to that point where you're like, where you're not letting the things control you. So obviously yoga is a big tool. Yeah, yeah. It, has that been like the biggest tool in your tool belt? Or is, is there something else that you do daily or, or, or every so often? It, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about yeah your, the tools that you use so i would say yoga is um is a technology okay everyone uses you know we're here with all these gadgets around us it's a technology so it's a fifteen thousand year old life science okay a lot of people think oh every time i tell people come practice yoga they're like yeah i need to stretch more that's <laughs> i would be a millionaire if every time people give me that comment you know i'm just like all right, come stretch, and I wink, <laughs> I, wink, I wink at him. You know, so what? What that technology does is it enables you 
to have self-mastery over your tools. Again, what are your tools? My body is my tool, so I can move and do take action. My mind is a tool. It's a powerful tool. My mind is like a saw that can cut through anything. I need to learn how to operate my mind, okay? You don't give a child a power saw. Your mind is way more powerful than a saw. Your mind can either cut you up or you see these geniuses where they're literally doing the most miraculous things because their mindset and they have control over their mind that they could do anything. So I have to learn how to operate my mind so I can regulate my thoughts and my emotions. So those are my tools. Those are my biggest tools. But then in yoga, we have all these different practices that allow you to overcome the mind, you know, because it's it's a battle. The mind is, it's like a wild horse or a wild dog that's like just that. going all over the place. Yeah. That you have to really, really, really train every single day. And that's what I keep, it keeps coming back to me, my training in sports. Sometimes I would train in sports for eight hours to the point where I'm just like, literally throwing up, yeah. just cramping, even shitting myself, if I even remember that happened <laughs> to me plenty of times. We train so hard as athletes, and then I'm like, guys, how much time are you spending training your mind? We can go pump iron all day long and be physical, which is great, but then how much time am I really regulating my, my mind so it's in a state where I can use it effectively so I can focus, so I can concentrate, yeah. so I can be kind to others, so I can not be triggered, so I can be compassionate, so I can, again, concentrate on what I need to do. It takes these practices that are transcendental. I have to transcend my mind. Yeah, You have to be beyond your mind. I have to transcend the limitations of my body and that's only with the power of your energy, of your consciousness, that this is possible. And also, I have to have be emotionally really, really sound. So that's all. Again, those are all my tools. But then if my tools are not sharpened in a way that they're effective and they're not working against me, then I'm really in trouble. Yeah. So there's many practices in yoga. And um, I'll share this with you. The last month really got super disciplined because I really want to do so much in life. And I went completely sober of everything. I haven't drank alcohol in a long time, but, I, you know, I had a habit of smoking a lot of cannabis and and drinking a lot of coffee and all that stuff. So it was like waking up, taking a bunch of coffee and then smoking a lot at night. And so I basically it went sober. So in going sober, now what else do I have to do? is take care of myself better so I have more time and I'm not worried about the you know, thing that I need to take. What I need to take in is my energy and my practices. So I wake up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., I get down. I know it sounds crazy, but I spend an hour or two a day sharpening my mind and doing all the practices that are really, they really, really, really work. So at 4 a.m., can you delve a little bit into the specifics. So when you wake up, what's the first thing that you do after you wake up? The first thing is just, you know, do the normal things, just uh, go to the bathroom, <laughs> uh, scrape my tongue and um, drink some water. And then uh, I basically just get on my meditation cushion 
and I do mantras, which are basically just to give everyone a little like context here is, is before there was anything material in the entire universe, there was just pure energy, right? There was only energy just floating around, which is actually just God, like consciousness. Energy is consciousness. So consciousness or energy has a particular vibration. The source of creation vibrates so high, okay, that our God, he or she, basically organized sound into a crystallized form and then matter took shape. Okay, so down to the speck of salt to an entire planet or universe was created through sound that crystallized. And the yogic tradition, we say, Om created everything. Okay, now modern science actually says this is a fact that sound created matter. Okay, so getting back to the mantra, okay, the mantra creates a particular sound within you that completely organizes and attunes all your energies down to the molecular level. Okay, so that's what I do is what that does is it puts everything in place. So my mind's not bouncing all over the place. And my intellect is quiet. My identification to this and that is completely neutralized. My memory is over there. What I'm tapping into is the chitta, as we call, call it. It's pure knowledge. It's connected to and one to source. So I don't know if everyone can really follow me, but we all have had downloads where we're really, really present in life. We're not thinking about anything. We have moments of clarity where there's like this void that we're in. Boom, something came to mind. You're like, this is what I need to do. It's that inner guidance where you're connected to something greater beyond your intellect. You're connected to something beyond what you identify with. You're connected to something beyond your memory. What you're connected to is everything at that point. So at that point, you're really knowing truth because then downloads are coming to you. It's beyond intuition where you're just tapping into something really, really greater. And you're just like, wait, I'm not thinking about what I need to do or anything. Now I know that question I had I got the answer right yeah. now. So that's what it's about is using the mantra and the practices to tap into that. So the more and more I do my practices and I've been sober and doing all these things is I'm tapping into that. So I don't even have questions in life, barely any questions. I just trust that if I do the practices, the insight will come to me. We're here on earth to experience a polarized mind. So if there's thinking, then there's also not thinking. So everyone is over here critically thinking in yeah. these think tanks. What about the opposite? That's where there's a big disconnect a lot of times. People don't really understand. That's why yoga is the life science where mystics literally knew everything before modern science. They knew basically everything. They knew the nature of the atom thousands and thousands of years ago up until 
The early 1900s, they didn't even know the nature of the atom. The mystics in the yoga tradition knew about it thousands of years ago. They knew there's this all this stuff about abortion and all these things. And, you know, the trimesters, the development of a child in pregnancy. And there's all this, you know, stuff going on, you know, because abortion is, is now now illegal in many places. So my point is, is these mystics knew everything before there was even any type of technology to do any type of scans thousands of years ago, they knew exactly the development of a child before thousands of years before modern science and the medical world knew. How? Again, they're connected to cosmic consciousness, one with God, one with all, one with everything, one with the past, the present, the future, every single timeline, every possibility, everything that there ever was or will be is there. We have that connection. It's not that I'm gifted and I can do that. You have that possibility. We have the same human design as this technology, again, that I'm using, way better than any Lambo, way better than any phone. This technology is the vehicle for enlightenment. Okay, that's what I want to emphasize, you guys. This is what yoga is about. Okay, to be very, very clear. Okay, this is the vessel, my mind, my body, my thoughts, and my emotions to achieve enlightenment. Okay, so that's why yoga is my path. And that's why I'm here to share that with the world. There's so much suffering in the world today. We can transform ourselves through this technology. It's right there and it's within us. It's not over there. It's right here within us. We have it here, that essence. So, so yeah, that's my, been my journey and my understanding, you know, and, and to me, that's divine truth. There's many layers of truth, many, 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 many layers of truth. This is the highest truth in my eyes. So everyone can have their own opinion. Um, yeah. No, uh, I, you know? I, I dig it, man. I, <laughs> it's, I think there's, there's a couple of things that it, that I thought about while listening to that. I think one of the things is almost like the term flow state is pretty mainstream now. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that pure present, yeah. being purely present. I think that that's it. That is that's like now the mainstream term for what you're talking yeah, about yeah. when, you, when it's <laughs> being completely present. And I think it's important for us to find out what puts us in that place yeah. for each individual it might be different exactly but finding that being present i think like that's pure joy yeah. like i feel like pure joy is one of those things that i think people talk about they want to be happy all the time mm -hmm. uh, i'm not sure if that's i don't know how real the word happy is i know this is like a little bit abstract but yeah i've been exploring this a little bit and I think people use happiness as a placeholder for different things. I think they might mean like those moments of joy that they experience and they want to experience that a lot and not be depressed. I think yeah. they'll use happy as like this word to summarize yeah. a lot of these things. And I think like when you're in these flow states, it's pure. It's, it's beyond happiness. Yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah. yeah. Happy is like, happy is like saying good. Yeah, exactly. It, it's somewhat meaningless. But it's conditional because yeah. why everyone is happy according to what conditions yeah. that they want. 
It's like, if I don't have the conditions that I want, then I'm not happy. Yeah. 